Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa, and if you want to catch up with me on Twitter, you can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram. I love that movie podcast, and we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but if you want to support us on there, you can. That's at patreon.com slash I love that movie. And I want to take a moment to thank our top patrons. They are Chris Balga, Michael Cross, and Philip Barker. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And then I also have Jared, who just joined the Patreon. Hi, Jared. Thank you, and welcome to the team. And uh, I always advertise. He, he signed up for a dollar tier, and as for for as little as a dollar a month, you can listen to all of our coverage on The Mandalorian. So since I cover movies on here, on the Patreon, I cover TV shows and other stuff. Um, and you get a bonus episode with, uh, you know, every week I've been inviting a guest on and we've been talking about the Mandalorian starting with season one. Uh, so, uh, he was actually one of my guests too. So you can listen to that on there. Um, I also have a website, a discord and a Facebook group, so many places to reach us. Um, and as always guys, if you like what you hear today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Uh, today I have a guest that's returning, uh, I have Danny Hercules on the podcast. Say hi, Danny. Hi, Danny. <laughs> and Danny, uh, last time we talked about Xanadu, right? Right. Right. Okay. Well, if they haven't heard that episode, and they totally should, do you want to introduce yourself just a little bit? Well, thank you for letting me introduce myself, because last time I was so worried about preparing my, my notes and thoughts for the movie that I didn't have anything prepared when you asked your first question, tell us about yourself. Um <laughs> So now that I'm sounds like you're bit, very humble then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little bit more prepared. I uh, am a writer. Uh, I was a music journalist for a long time in the 80s and the 90s, covering jazz for a number of small publications in Southern California. And then I switched to writing screenplays. Some of those have been optioned, but none of them have been produced. Uh, and then I adapted one of those unsold screenplays into a, a novel. It's a Christmas story into a novel called North Pole High, A Rebel Without a Clause, which I also adapted into a musical. And the story was very heavily influenced by the movie that we're going to talk about today. That's so cool. I love it when people come on here and talk about you know, their passions and things that they've worked on. You know, when you're talking about your background in music, it makes a lot of sense why we talked about Xanadu last time. Um, and I love that there's a connection even to this movie we're about to talk about. Uh, I always let the guests pick the movie, um, but you did know it was Christmas season. <laughs> so what movie did you pick to talk about today? Elf. Yes. 2003. Um, guys, as always, there are, this is not a spoiler free podcast. We will be talking spoilers. So you should absolutely go see Elf uh, before you listen to the rest of this. I will give a quick synopsis. I'm not going to go Heavy into detail on the synopsis is just a quick one, but basically, after discovering he is human, a man raised as an elf at the North Pole decides to travel to New York to locate his real father. Simple, high concept premise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like some of the best movies, it's like, it's it's not, you know, they, they have simple plots, but it's like how you get there. Um, oh, absolutely. When was, when did you first see this movie? You know, I probably saw it in the theater when it came out, and I have no real memory of that. I'm sure I enjoyed it, but I didn't really think about it again until around 2008 
Christmas Eve. I'm flipping through the channels, and I think Turner Broadcast was running Elf as a marathon for 24 hours over and over oh my again. Gosh. <laughs> and I didn't sit down and watch it for 24 hours straight, but I did keep coming back to it. And me and my girlfriend kept quoting lines from it for weeks afterward and, and just cracking each other up, you know, and answering the phone saying, What's your favorite color? and stuff like that. And it was at that time <laughs> that I was actually working on a screenplay that wasn't quite working out. And, and that's when I got the idea to move my story to the North Pole and have Santa Claus be the main character's father. I love that. Well, I, I think I saw this in theaters as well, and I really enjoyed it um, because I believe even at the time, even though, you know, uh, Will Ferrell wasn't like a huge star, I was familiar with him because of SNL and I was a really big SNL fan and watched it pretty religiously. So I was excited about this movie and then I loved it then. I can't get tired of it. I watch it every year, but I do have a funny story I want to share really quick. And that's that one year, a good friend, uh, I was over at her house and uh, with her at the time husband and she made some mulled wine and we were watching a Christmas story. <laughs> um, and then we were kind of like, what should we watch next? And I'm like, have you guys seen Elf? And they were like, you know what? I've never seen that. And we're like, let's watch it right now. And I couldn't wait for them to see it. We turn it on. My husband and I laugh the entire time. They never smile once. Oh, my God. <laughs> and it ends. And they just kind of awkwardly are like, well, that was a movie. And, like, didn't like it. And it's funny because I, I hear, I think, I'm not trying to call you out too much, Chris Belga, if you're listening. But I feel like Chris, I think he said he just hates Will Ferrell or is just like huh. not a fan or like he likes other movies with Will Ferrell in them. Um, no, I don't think he hates him. Cause I think we, we covered a Will Ferrell movie together, but. Um, Did he not but, have enough mold wine? <laughs> yeah, Maybe more mold wine would have helped, but uh, he also didn't like it. And like, I feel like there's a camp of people that don't like, or some of the Will Ferrell humor. Sure. And so I if that's the that. case, you, it's kind of like Jim Carrey. It's like, it's a lot. And I guess if you don't like that, you don't like it. But it was just funny to me because I thought it was such a home run and I'm showing my friends this movie and they just have such an opposite reaction to what I'm expecting. <laughs> but luckily, we've got two people on this podcast that really like this movie. So that's going to make it, I think, a little more enjoyable. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me share a couple of quick facts before we dive in here. Uh, the first one I have is that the design for Santa's workshop as well as the elf uniforms come from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, 1964. Uh, the elf uniforms completely mirror the ones on the television special. Most of the animals in the North Pole are also designed to look like the uh, same form of stop motion used in Rudolph. Yes, that was probably the first thing that, that drew me into the movie when I saw it, was because I grew up on those Rankin-Bass uh, stop motion animation specials, uh, that and Santa Claus is Coming to Town. So. Yes, it's funny like now realizing that that came out in 64 because as a kid you're just kind of like any movie that comes out you're like oh yay this just came out <laughs> you know right. like it's interesting to see how you know as an adult to realize how vintage it is um and you and I were kind of talking before we started recording about the uh you know uh the holidays that made us Netflix uh episode about elf which i highly recommend everybody go watch that somebody on twitter recommended it to me <laughs> and so i went and watched it um we talk about how that actually became a pretty big problem how similar it yeah. is to that movie right <laughs> right they they almost had to uh, shut down and redo the, the costumes and uh, they thought about doing them digitally covering them up to make them look different and ultimately they were able to work out their their legal issues that would be such a nightmare. Oh, gosh. I'm so glad that it worked out. Because, like, I don't know. Like, I it, it almost doesn't work if you don't have that element tied to it, I think. I think it really adds a lot to the film. Um, the elf Ming Ming, who appears briefly in the beginning of the film, is played by Peter Billingsy, who also starred as Ralphie Parker in the classic holiday film, A Christmas Story. Oh, wow. And I don't think I ever noticed that before until I, I read that. I didn't know that either. That's great. I know. That's so cute. And like when you go back and watch the scene, like it's definitely him. But yeah, yeah didn't know that until I read that. That's just such a wonderful callback. And I think that's another really great thing about this movie is the whole thing is a callback, not just to the oh, Rudolph yeah. movie, but to so many classic Christmas films. Well, I know Ray Harryhausen has a cameo as a voice, doesn't he? 
Oh, really? Oh, you hadn't heard that? Yeah. I um, had not heard that. Yeah. Who does I he believe, play? Uh, one of the animated characters. Oh, okay, sure. very cool. I love that. <laughs> I probably just missed that part in the in the special. Uh, I also have that the scene in which Buddy is on the bridge and the snow references a similar scene in another Christmas favorite, It's a Wonderful Life, right. which we've also covered on this podcast and greatly enjoy. And I definitely thought of that scene when that comes yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, the last one, the last callback I wanted to talk about, uh, the Christmas tree being too big for the living room is a nod to National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. We also covered that on this podcast when right. uh, where Clark was Riswald uh, also uproots a tree with a family station wagon that is too big for his living room. Right. <laughs> I just looked it up. Ray Harryhausen was the voice of the polar bear cub. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's such a cool like Easter egg. Yeah. Such a great cameo. And the stop motion was all done by the Kyoto brothers who did uh, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie. What? Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. I haven't watched that movie in forever. <laughs> Somebody should pick that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but they That's were very so influenced by Harryhausen and, and King Kong before that. And so they must have been thrilled to have him do a voice. Yeah, to actually work with him. That's so great. Um so that kind of wraps up my quick facts, and I want to talk a little bit next about John Favreau, right. uh, who directed this film. And uh, you learn in that special that we keep referencing that he, you know, well, we know he was an actor, uh, but at the time he wasn't, I think he had directed one other movie. Right. Well, his big break was Swingers, which he didn't That's direct. Right. He wrote it and starred in it, and Doug Lyman directed it. Only oh, okay. because he's You're the right. one who came up with the money for it. They, they were all nobodies. And uh, Doug Lyman said, oh, I want to become a director, too. I'll give you the 200. It only cost, Swingers only cost $200,000. I did not know that. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. And <laughs> so uh, But then, you know, it was John's pet project. He wrote it. Then he wrote another one called Made, and that one was his directorial debut. I think that one was $5 million. And it didn't do great. So it was surprising that he got to do a big star vehicle. Well, I guess Will Ferrell wasn't really a star yet, but uh, yeah, that was actually a problem in pitching yeah. the movies. People were like, "Who is this guy? Like, this isn't a good idea. He's not a star." Right. Um, but this had a thirty million dollar budget, so that was a huge, big step up. And oh, for sure. And it's a studio picture, so you know both Swingers and and Made were indies, and so this was his first time doing a studio picture. And if he hadn't done this, I don't think he's ever going to get to a point, or, or a movie like this, he's not going to get to a point where he gets to do Iron Man and uh, all the other Disney movies that he did. I mean, it's amazing to think that, you know, the career that he's had. Yeah. Um, I talk about him almost every week now yeah. because I'm covering Mandalorian. the Mandalorian. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, his contribution to the Star Wars universe and the Disney universe, I mean, it really feels like he's, And the Marvel you know, universe. Iron Man was really the yeah. start of the cinematic universe. Right, right. Yeah, you're right. Oh, my gosh. I d didn't think of it that way. I think I was, I think I'm starting to meld Star Wars with Disney. Yeah. Because they own them. So I said Disney and I'm thinking Star Wars. It's happening. <laughs> But well, he did both, for Disney, too. he did uh, Jungle Book, uh, Jungle right? Book, and Lion yeah. King, and did he also do uh, Sorcerer's Apprentice? Or oh, I'm did not he sure. Drop out of that? Oh, I don't know. I forget. Um, but yeah. Well, anyway. <laughs> but yeah, he's you know he's great, and he loves his cameos yeah. in his movies. He's got a cameo in this one as well. Yeah. But I mean, I think this film really lays the groundwork for him understanding how to use nostalgia in a new project mm -hmm. that calls back to some older stuff, but feels fresh, right? Like I think this movie is an instant classic and there's a lot of key ingredients he kind of is inspired by, but it's still his own thing. And yeah. the other thing is it's genuinely funny. Like there's a lot of really funny lines in this movie. Yeah, no, no, the, the dialogue, the one-liners, those are the, the best part about it, I think. But uh, uh, one of the things that Favreau brought to it uh, the the initial script didn't have the uh, Central Park Rangers, and he just felt instinctively that the third act needed more stakes, higher stakes, more danger uh, happening at the same time. And I think that's the kind of thinking that makes him so suitable to be doing Marvel movies and Star Wars, uh, Mandalorian stuff. Yeah, he understands that like the audience needs 
higher stakes in yeah. certain situations. Which is and a surprise so, coming from the indie world, you know, where they don't care about the way right. character based. <laughs> right. And, you know, knowing, yeah, what, what ingredients are needed to make it a solid Hollywood picture, essentially. Okay. Uh, well, first, let me talk, let's talk about Will Ferrell. Because you know, as a writer, oh, absolutely. as a writer, I normally, you know, evaluate my movies on the writing. If I love it, if I hate it, it's it's almost, you know, 95% about the writing. And this is an example where it's really about the star because, you know, I've, I've read the script and it's a good script. I don't dislike it. It's, it, you know, but it doesn't say on the page how Buddy is supposed to overreact, to be over the top with his enthusiasm. That's something that Will brought to the part. And if you cast anybody else in it, it wouldn't be the same. I agree. Last night uh, when we were watching it, I was like, nobody else can can be this part. It's just not possible. Yeah. <laughs> like there's no one else as Will Ferrell. Um, and in fact, when they were designing the or when they were writing the script, they were thinking of him uh, because he's so perfectly suited to this role. And, I, and yeah. they were pulling a lot from on SNL. He had a couple characters like the Spartan cheerleaders. And I can't remember the name of them, but when he's that like church group that plays the it's like him and his wife and they play like the piano. Oh. I think it's Anna Gasteyer. And anyways, it's really funny. It's a good skit, but um, he brings this sort of like, I don't know, like innocence to a lot of those characters and like just a lot of good naturedness. And um, I think you see a lot of that in Buddy the Elf. <laughs> yeah. The innocence is important because at one time, Jim Carrey was attached to this, and, and I think Chris Farley was attached to it at one time. And they could have probably done the really big stuff, but I don't think they're as good at this uh, this innocence part of it, this softness to it that really the that makes you and uh, that makes Buddy so endearing. Yeah, because the character has potential to be annoying. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he's acting like a giant kid, and um, but. Yeah, Will Ferrell understands how to deliver those like annoying bits with a little bit of like sweetness and kindness to where even if you're annoyed, you kind of are like, well, but he's so nice. Like, I feel bad. Like, I like this guy. Um, and I feel like a lot of times Jim Carrey um, and maybe not so much with Chris Farley, but with Jim Carrey, especially it's like the being annoying is part of why you like that character but right. you're right they don't have that like innocence or softness to them and then at the same time um there's a lot of similarities between buddy and the character tom hanks plays in big because they're both like I a agree. man child right and i think tom hanks could easily get the sweetness part of it but would he have, have gone you know would he have committed to go as all out in the in the enthusiasm department the way will ferrell right. does it wouldn't be as big for right. sure. Like it would be more restrained. I think it would make it a different movie. It wouldn't be quite as funny. It'd be more just like sweet, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Really good point. I mean, he, this is definitely a movie where it's basically, yeah, without Will Ferrell, it doesn't work. So he does deserve a lot of the credit. And what's funny is when they were talking about the behind the scenes, it's that, um, you know, they almost thought this was going to be a problem that Will Ferrell was starring in it because literally the same year old school came out and that oh, was yeah. a really big breakout role for him. And it's like, do we want, what was his name on there? Frank the tank or something. Uh, do we want him to be I, in this children's movie? Like, but <laughs> luckily it worked. It worked. They're two yeah, separate it was films. a big gamble for them. <laughs> it, it was such a big gamble because, and, and it's hard to remember that he wasn't a star yet uh, because we, you know, he was, known from SNL, but this was only his second big movie after leaving SNL and old school came out, I think after they shot elf. Uh, so they didn't, right. he wasn't established as a star yet and they didn't know what a, a movie starring Will Ferrell would be like. And, and it was very different too. Cause you like you said, old school was very R rated and this was very PG rated, you know? So yeah. Two films that I feel like, <laughs> I don't know, just have done like I don't know, I don't know how to say it. They're they're both classics of that time, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen old school in a long time, but I remember really right. enjoying it. Um well, I, I saw an interview where uh Will Ferrell was saying that um 
while he was playing Buddy and he was really committed to doing it the way he did it, he was he figured there's only two possible outcomes because he didn't know if it was going to work. He said, it's either going to be the biggest bomb and it's going to end my movie career before it even gets started or it's going to become a classic, you know. But it, right. it could have gone either way. Yeah, it could have. He could have been like, oh, the, the actor from Buddy the Elf, you know, yeah. from Elf. It's terrible. But luckily for him and for us, it was not. I think he's great casting. I think there's actually a lot of great casting. Oh, absolutely. In this movie. Some really amazing choices, like James Can as his dad, which is I know. Amazing, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bob Newhart as Papa Elf. Ed Asner as Santa. I mean, this is just great. Ed Asner's a classic Santa Claus. Yes. He's and great. then, you know, Zoe Deschanel, uh, a relative yeah, newcomer. Yeah, so she was time. also new at the time. Um, she had done Almost Famous, and she got a lot of attention for that. She was the older sister. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. do. I do. And then she did a, another uh, indie movie. Was it called All the Real Women or All the Real Girls, something like that? Um, hmm, I, don't, I don't think I'm familiar with that one. And it had that had played at Sundance while they were filming Elf. And wow. uh, I never saw it myself. So, uh, but I hear, you know, she got an audience award for it or something. So, yeah. And, I mean, it's crazy. She's had such a big career now. And Peter Dinklage then. wasn't really known also until the same year. He also had the station agent playing at the uh, Sundance film festival that same year while they were making Elf. So he became a oh big deal gosh. too. He, he got a lot of awards for that. Well, you know, from watching it this time, too, uh, my husband pointed out Amy Sedaris, who is in yeah. The Mandalorian. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I was like, hey, you know, uh, of course, I don't think of Amy Sedaris as the lady from The Mandalorian, but I am saying that she is in The Mandalorian because Jon Favreau is involved with both projects. But exactly. love seeing her. She's hilarious. And uh, she has like kind of a smaller part in this movie. But again, just a wonderful yeah. cast. And Mary Steinbergen, I don't think she has a lot to do in this movie, but oh, she's yeah. a great get anyway. And she does it really well. Yes. She plays such a like sweet, endearing mom. And she's also one of the moms in Step Brothers. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I always think of her specifically from as Clara from Back to the Future right. 3. Um, I think that was probably the first time I saw her. And she's just always so sweet. Yeah. She's like the perfect... I don't know. She's just such the opposite of, of Walter in this movie. <laughs> like, you know, she's just so sweet and so open minded and open hearted, I guess. Um, it's such despite. an interesting choice to me that when Walter tells her he has a son from a previous relationship that he didn't even know about, that she reacts with, oh, that's fantastic. And I don't think most people would do that. But <laughs> they would be like, you kept this obvious secret from me. Yeah. And instead, she just fully trusts him. And she's like, this is actually great news. You have exactly. another son, which is like in the grand scheme of things true. But yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't know that most people, most people would, would take a while way. to get there, but this movie yeah. doesn't need that. Right. And, and That's the, like a different movie. Right. And the joke <laughs> at the end of the scene is when he says, Oh, and by the way, he thinks he's an elf. So if she's still upset about him in that moment, uh, upset about buddy ex existing in that moment, then you don't throw the elf thing on top of that. It, it's not as funny. Agreed. Agreed. My first Mary Steenburgen movie was uh, Time After Time. Did you ever see that? Oh, I don't think I've seen oh, that. That's an excellent movie. I need to check that out because I do really like her. Yeah. Well, uh, did you want to talk about some of your favorite scenes? Um, well, I love the whole North Pole sequence because, uh, like I said, that, yes. that it, it, it did exactly what they intended. It brought me back to those Rankin-Bass uh cartoons um i really like too that his outfit is specifically like the the elf that was helping the dentist elf his name yes yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um i never noticed that until i was watching that um special and i'm like yeah so like literally not just the aesthetic but like they down to the color scheme i, I really like that attention to detail and yeah also, the sets when they're at the North Pole being so white, I thought that was interesting how they said that um, in those in that older movie and in those older uh, films, you know, they kind of got away with some stuff in terms of set building by having just a pure white background so that mm -hmm. the colors like really pop. And, um, you know, they just kind of went with that on a bigger scale. 
And I, I really like that sequence too. I, I like every time they're at the North Pole. <laughs> yeah. And all the little animals. The narwhal is probably my favorite part of the whole movie. You know, it's just another two... John Favreau uh, yes. cameo. <laughs> it's just two seconds. The thing pops up out of nowhere. I don't think I knew what a narwhal was until I saw that. <laughs> and it's it's a real thing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And I learned it from Elf. <laughs> you did. We learned so much from Elf, the true meaning of Christmas and that narwhals are a thing. <laughs> and then of course you get into the whole fish out of water. There he is in New York. There's a that whole montage is great at, at the uh, when he first ends up in New York. I loved watching him run around in the in the revolving door. I remember when I was a kid and I would go downtown <laughs> with my dad. I would love to play in the revolving doors. It would piss him off so much. <laughs> Doesn't he like eat a piece of gum off the street too? Yes, he does the gum. Uh, there's another bit that I really like where the guys are handing out flyers and most people don't want to take them. He's taking them so much that they're like, no, give them back. You can't have any. <laughs> I like too when he, when he eats the gum that calls back to an earlier scene. Doesn't uh, Santa tell him not yeah. to put everything in your mouth, which he does a lot in the movie, but yeah. it's kind of like kids, right? I mean, it's like you tell them, like, don't put that in your oh, mouth. Oh, sure. And and he says on the commentary that everybody comes up to him and asks him, um, you know, if, if that was real gum and, and how they did that. Oh, my gosh. They, yeah, they, it's all <laughs> gum that he chewed himself, and then they put it down on the on the railing, but they put a, a clear film uh, that was sanitized uh, on top of it. You can't see it's transparent. So yeah. it wasn't touching anything that was germy. <laughs> he's not quite that method right you know? <laughs> yeah i feel like he does this whole fish out of water thing in ways that only will ferrell can yeah. so i agree with you it's, it's such a great scene yeah and, and they 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 came up with a lot of stuff on on the spot it wasn't all written down the guy wearing the red tracksuit with the white beard he just was a guy he wasn't a hired extra he just was a real new yorker who just happened to be walking by in that red suit <laughs> and they used Those improv skills man <laughs> i guess i, I can kind of say one too um i think one of the scenes that i really really like is when he first meets his dad mm -hmm. and um just you know how he he thinks that uh you know meeting his dad is going to be such like a, a blissful experience he's going to welcome him with open arms and just how hilariously wrong it goes and i just i don't know i enjoy all the things he says to him and um all the improv lines i think they did a lot of takes where they would say like okay do the read the lines as is now let's do a retake and you know improvise and i feel like yeah. so many of those improvised lines are in the movie and what i liked about the scene is the way they handled the mistaken identity that he everybody just assumes oh this is a christmas gram a christmas gram what's oh, that yeah. i want one <laughs> <laughs> in his song you're my dad the, i yeah. love you yeah, because he just says, oh, you're going to sing a song now, right? And and he just launches into this weird song. And it's, yeah, everything works out so great. I think that's the scene, too, where um, Amy Sedaris tries to whisper something to James. Yes. And I like Will Ferrell leans too. in. He's like, why are we whispering? <laughs> <laughs> so great. So great. Yeah. And then um, I like the doctor's office scene. That was John Favreau's live yep. action acting cameo. <laughs> um, <laughs> as opposed to all his uh, animated voices and yeah. just the timing of that there's a, a big chunk of that first part of it is all in one take and uh, with really? the three of, yeah I mean well if I don't mean that they only did one take but you can see that the, the camera's not moving and it's all just there are no cuts there's no cut to coverage and the timing is just so well the you know the whole thing from where he gets his finger you know, ending with where he gets his finger pricked his that. reaction yes yeah, and so and oh go ahead all the distractions when he's saying why do you have a skeleton in there and, and, and why does there paper on on this uh, table and, and all that stuff all of that was all part of that same take and it was just oh, so oh gotcha timed. i see what you're saying yeah and it, comedy's it's genius all about timing. timing yeah <laughs> absolutely and i like too that um it kind of answers a question or it they really weave that into the story about James getting like 
proof that this is his son and is you're kind of yeah. like how, how are they going to handle that and like literally just has him come in for a dna test i i, I yeah. love the coldness of that <laughs> and there's just this is a there's one throwaway joke when when john favreau comes out of the back room he's just done, finished the dna test and he says it's a boy i love that line yes. it's a throwaway line but it's <laughs> it's like you know you got to put the the dots together a little bit there and say oh yeah he's he's saying that you congratulations you have a son it's a boy <laughs> it is because it's like i think he's sort of trying to soften the blow yeah in a way but also it makes it more surprising and shocking at the same time <laughs> um i i also like his uh i guess first day at the christmas store at the christmas department gimbals yeah toy store gimbals yeah okay which I guess it, you, is that supposed to be kind of like FAO Schwartz, you think? Or well, no, there was Macy's and Gimbel's, and and if you're, uh, did you ever see oh, Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I definitely have. That seen was that. all about the rivalry between Macy's and Gimbel's. They they, they were both oh, real stores. Gosh. I think Gimbel's yeah. I think went out of business. Man, I haven't seen that in so long. <laughs> or I probably in my mind was like, that's a made up store because I know yeah. what Macy's is, which is kind of what the movie's about. Um, <laughs> they were big competitors. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> But I like, um, they wanted, I think, Wanda Sykes to be the boss. Yeah. And it, you know, they they cast a uh, different. Faze on Love. Yeah. What's the name? Faze on oh, Love. I, I don't know who he is either. <laughs> I know that I he was like in May. I know his name, but I can't place it. Anyways, uh, Faze on Love um, kept the same Wanda name tag. I which saw that. that basically was just turns into a little funny joke of like you know it's like ugh, i don't know underappreciated yeah. manager um but he uh i think his reactions to buddy like i love when he tries to hype up the team and he's like santa's gonna be here tomorrow but he's like <laughs> like in his reaction to that and later in the movie when he doesn't realize that buddy decorated everything and he thinks someone's gunning for his like oh so important management of gimbal's job I like that, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I, I like his his first day at the at the at the uh, store. And then the introduction of Zoe Deschanel's character uh, with that mm -hmm. weird triple uh, dissolve as we zoom in closer to her, and it's a, and she's <laughs> lit classically like an angel and everything. And if you listen, the Macy's or the Gimbel's department store PA is playing, they've been playing Christmas music all along. But the, when when she comes on screen, they play Santa Baby which is about a woman who's trying to seduce Santa Claus. Right. And that song comes up later too. Yeah. So it's very appropriate for her introduction. I also, yeah, I think, Oh, go ahead. Well, I also like the, the, the shower scene with uh, uh, baby. It's cold outside. When she realizes he's, she, he's there, she says, get out, don't look. And he takes her up on, on those commands. Literally, <laughs> he covers his eyes while he's getting out and he crashes into the uh, lockers. That was hilarious. <laughs> that scene is done so well yeah. because uh, I think they're saying in the behind the scenes, like, Whenever you first hear someone sing that you didn't know could sing it, there's something sort of like magical and beautiful about it. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that he like doesn't see her at first and she's, you know, in the shower. But then right after that, you have this very funny scene, uh, but also, again, displays his innocence. Right. Because he's not sneaking into the shower. He's <laughs> he's just walk waltzing right. in there, not knowing he's not supposed to be there because he, you know, he yeah. doesn't know. Uh, he just hears beautiful singing and duets her. So it. Yeah. it kind of just establishes once again that Buddy's always got the best intentions. Well, right. And they didn't know that Zoe could sing when they cast her. That scene wasn't in the movie, in the script. Oh, wow. And they, she had a cabaret show, and in, in, I think, in Hollywood. Uh, so they, they were aware of that. But I think um, Favreau said after they cast her, they were all at a, a birthday party at Mary Steenburgen's house, and she got up and sang. And that's when he decided to add, add the song baby's cold outside that's so great yeah. and i think she released like an album during sure. the movie too uh, and, the, and some of those songs were yeah on she's it got well. a couple albums out i think the uh, under the name she and him or something like that yeah uh, yeah i remember yeah. that one of them's a christmas album at least one of them is i think i've listened to it before like she on spotify he? too yeah yeah i think i think you're right i, I can't remember which one <laughs> she and he or she and him I think it's she and him. Yeah, it is she and him. <laughs> um, but I, I remember listening to that album, too. Um, mm. Yeah. 
Uh, is there another scene? Well, the food was another thing. That's that's one that I borrowed <laughs> heavily for North Pole High. Was the the idea that they the the elves eat or everybody in the North Pole eats a lot of sugar, um, you know? And and I love you know it, it, it in this movie it, it reaches its climax when when he uh, puts the crumbles up the pop tarts and puts it on top of the mound of spaghetti and marshmallows. Oh, <laughs> I know, and that becomes like a I, I like again Mary. Uh, Mary's character has to placate him when she packs him like that breakfast with just spaghetti and like maple syrup, I think. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, they eat a lot of sugar. I think I read a fact uh, on here too. Of course, sometimes you got to take stuff on IMDb with a grain of salt, but um, that he was getting like some kind of intense headaches from eating so much sugar (laughs) uh, on the set. Yeah. Wow. He did have a lot of scenes with sugar, so it's possible. Yeah. Let's see what else. I I, I listed some of my favorite qu- uh, quotes, some of my favorite lines. Uh, oh, I forgot I know, to give it's you hard. a hug. It's like, how do you do it without going through the entire movie line, <laughs> scene by scene? You don't have to do that. I won't Smiling's my favorite. <laughs> That's a good one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, at the, in the doctor's office, I was going to mention this before, my finger has a heartbeat. That is such a weird line. (laughs) And you know, when he says it, you go, oh, that's right, it does. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I felt that before. (laughs) Oh, you know what I wanted to talk about, too, was all the forced perspective stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, Favreau made the decision, which is kind of funny now, considering how much he uses special effects, um, (laughs) to not use that so much. And so almost all the scenes, you know, displaying how large he is compared to the elves in the beginning... Um, and, so, and in some flashbacks, it's forced perspective. Yeah. And they did it um, really I, well. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. It, yeah. Especially uh, the scene with Bob Newhart. Um, I really like seeing how they did that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, uh, it, it all goes with keeping that whole nostalgia uh, feel for the old 1960s cartoons, because they certainly didn't have digital effects in those days. and and. And uh, but but they took simple old tricks, but they they really put a more attention to detail than you would have in the 60s or even in, in the 30s when they were first. I'm sure the Lumiere brothers were probably doing this in, in the late 1800s, uh, but not as seamlessly as as they did here. Yeah, I think they had a little bit of apprehension with it at first because it's like this is technology or these are tricks that we that they haven't used in like 50 years yeah. so they were trying to kind of update them and it, it is really successful i like uh with the bob newhart um writing on his back scene that they had bob newhart like on a tiny little bicycle <laughs> and then there was a kid and it was a kid's hand right. on like the teenage buddy just stuff like that is just so wonderful to me i i, I love it yeah. um Another thing I kind of wanted to talk about too is, uh, you know, his, uh, James Conn's character's son, the other son. Oh, um, right. Yeah. Cause that's kind of a through line in the movie too, through this whole experience. He, he even improves his relationship with his son, which it's kind of barely mentioned in the beginning, but kind of keeps coming up throughout the film that he's not really connecting with his son he doesn't spend a lot of time with him he prioritizes his job over his relationship with him and uh you know will ferrell's character and he end up forming a bond there's a great snow fight scene Mm -hmm. (laughs) in the movie but uh by the end he becomes like i I think more of a kid um he's got more of that innocence and warmth to him and in his relationship with his father gets better yeah, it's interesting because the whole movie is really built about around Buddy, he, you know, the one character, Buddy, and everybody is a porting character to him, except the one character who really relates to him on a level who just gets him is Michael, the kid, because <laughs> Buddy is also like a 10-year-old, and they, they understand each other, and, and yeah, it's, it, it, he was written in, this, in the draft of the script that I read, he was written a little bit harsher, a little bit meaner, um, a little bit more of a punk, uh, not a little bit more reluctant to become Buddy's friend, and I think they softened that a little bit and made them bond a little bit quicker. I think that works better because yeah. sometimes I I feel like they can overplay that kind of stuff with child characters mm-hmm. in a way that makes them I think a little bit too 
much of a stereotype and not enough of like a real person. So I kind of like that. Yeah, obviously he's going to think Buddy's weird, but yeah, he's a kid and a lot of stuff that Buddy does is very kid-like. It makes sense that they would connect. And um, I, I like that. And I liked when you saw the behind the scenes stuff that, you know, the whole story is about a connection with the father, um, you know, two people connecting with the father, two sons and how that relates to the writer's, you know, the fact that he lost his father at a young age. Yeah. And so this is sort of like a exploration of that. He loves Christmas and just like, what a wonderful tribute, you know, yeah. um, well, to that relationship. And also in general, the, the movie has no cynicism in it and yet it's not overly True. sentimental. Agreed. Yeah. That's a really hard balance, especially yeah. with who Buddy is as a character. Mm -hmm. um, it still doesn't become so like, you know, forgive the pun, sweet, that right. <laughs> <laughs> that it's too much. You know, it, it, it's, it manages to stay funny and fresh and have heart, but not go overboard. Yeah. Maybe, maybe that's the mark of something that ends up, you know, becoming a classic and not <laughs> just oh, for kids. You know, you mentioned the, the bridge scene before that was reminiscent of, uh, of um, It's a Wonderful Life. And the thing that, I always remember about that scene is, is uh, have you ever heard of a book called Save the Cat? No. It's, it's a book about screenwriting. It's mostly for people who want to learn screenwriting. And it it's, teaches the formula. You have to do this in the first act and, yet, and so on and so forth. And one of the things he says in the book is uh, that just before you go into the third act, you have to have something called the whiff of death. Even if a character doesn't oh. die, you have to have some allusion to somebody dying, maybe dying, thinking about dying. And as the example he uses in the book, he says, take a look at Elf. Here's this silly goofy kitty movie and there's buddy on a bridge contemplating suicide right at the spot where you're supposed to do that in every screenplay <laughs> yeah and they do it in such a way that where i think if you're a kid that's not on your mind you're just thinking <laughs> oh you know he's going out to get a fresh a breath of fresh air and he's sad i've been sad before but as an adult you're like it's getting a little dark yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it kind of pushes that boundary but then pulls back like mm -hmm. you're saying, it's like, it's what they need to do to kind of raise the stakes. You know, yes. it's hard. We're, we're feeling the emotions that the character feels, however, that's comes across to us. So it can't be muted, right? We've got to understand like how bad he feels. And that's a really, you know, direct way to tell us how bad he's feeling. Right. So I right. think it, it, it paints a picture for the audience for sure. I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. I'll have to read that book. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know what else uh, strikes me? We uh, you were talking about how um, you're surprised that these uh, Rankin Bass uh, cartoons are so old that they're from the '60s. I'm actually shocked that Elf is 17 years old. It's it was that's how long ago it came out. There are kids in high school who would hear about this probably, I'm assuming today, and say, "Oh, that's some old movie that came out before I was born." uh yeah you're not wrong <laughs> that's <laughs> it was a while ago this. it's hard for me to think of this being that old of a movie yeah when i think the 90s were 10 years ago <laughs> it doesn't seem that old to me but yeah it is <laughs> yeah i have to think about like where was i at that moment uh i i don't i don't remember but yeah it doesn't feel like it was that long ago at all yeah. i mean it doesn't and feel that long ago to me when Will Ferrell was like a new star in SNL either. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. whoa, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, on that same note though, the other thing that surprised me is, is um, uh, Favreau talks on the commentary about how it was a little bit tricky to get some of the New York locations they wanted because this was filmed just a year or two after nine 11. And so New York was still mm. kind of skittish about everything. And it made me wonder if, you know, if it came out in 2003, we're talking about two years after 9-11. Maybe it was just the right time that people needed something wholesome and fun and uplifting and, and non-cynical to kind of get back to normalcy a little bit. And maybe that's what helped it become the, the hit that it became to some I extent. I agree. And, and, and being set specifically in New York, too. In New York and not having any cynicism and not yeah. having any reference to these terrible things that were going on in the world. Yeah. It kind of reminds you of like, you know, movies in the fifties that were mm -hmm. sort of like, forget about world war two. Let's all sing and dance. You know, it's like 
when you put it under that lens, it does kind of make you understand a little more why people wanted and turned to something so uplifting. I, I think you're right about that. Yeah. Uh, this was turned into a Broadway musical. Oh, that's true. <laughs> have you seen that. it? I have not seen it, but they did an animated special that was based on the musical. I've seen that version. Um, oh, nice. In 2014, they did that. And that was uh, in the in the animated special. Jim Parsons was uh, Buddy. Uh, Mark Hamill was I did Walter. See that. Yeah, Mark Hamill I love was that Walter. Mark Hamill, that's uh, precious. Kate Micucci from Gar- uh, Garfunkel and Oates was Jovi, and I know I, I've heard you mention Garfunkel and Oates before. Oh yeah, uh, we we just did Knives Out, and she yes, plays on a one. minor yeah. role in that film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah, she was Jovi on the Broadway version. George went from Cheers was Santa Claus, and uh, then when he Cute. left the production, what? I said, how cute. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's another great choice. Uh, and then he left the production, and Wayne Knight from Seinfeld and Jurassic Park took over. Nice. Oh, that's so weird to think that he's old enough to be Santa Claus, but <laughs> that does make sense. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Artie Lang. Uh, he oh, played, yeah. He played the fake Santa. I was, uh, <laughs> uh, and, and at the time he was on, I think he was still on the Howard Stern show. I was a big fan of that show at that time ah gotcha didn't notice that (laughs) (laughs) that was a fun cameo peter dinklage we talked a little bit about him his scene was great. yes yeah and i feel like you know that scene could come across as insensitive but i feel like buddy did it in such a way where the lines are delivered such a way where it's not it's more just like him being annoying yeah, I think he was reaching that point in his career where he didn't want to take parts anymore that were specific to his height. Uh, but I think he yeah. did that one because he, he you know, that I, I heard this somewhere that he, you know, just felt like this was such a good movie and he couldn't pass up that that sp- particular part. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm sure that the younger kids watching this now would go, oh, that's the guy from Game of Thrones. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's like the first thing you think of now. <laughs> Well, let's see. I think we may have covered everything. <laughs> I think so. We could just keep talking yeah. about the, the great lines. Uh, yeah, yeah, we can. I... <laughs> you know, the movie's an hour and 37 minutes, so I feel like these episodes always tend to be short because of that. <laughs> I'm a cotton-headed ninny muggins is a great line. One time someone at work said that line, and I could not remember what it was from <laughs> until... He explained it, and I was like, oh my gosh, how did I forget about that? <laughs> oh, Son of a Nutcracker. That's another one that I, uh, that whole idea of using those uh, replacement like Christmas. Uh, yeah, words, uh, expletives. I used that a lot in North Pole High. I didn't use that particular <laughs> one. I came up with like, Swans of Swimming as an exclamation. <laughs> and, and Lords of Love Leaping. it, love it. Yeah, there's a lot of amazing like quotes in this movie. <laughs> Do you want to go eat food? You know the code. <laughs> She's like, no. <laughs> the kid's like, all right, we got to go now. <laughs> yeah, the what's your favorite color that you mentioned earlier? I really like that too. That's a great That's one. such a kid thing to ask. What's your favorite color? Call me Francisco, elf one more time. That's so fun to say. <laughs> Francisco, that's fun to say. The best way to spread <laughs> Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. It's a great yeah. line. When he burps for like <laughs> a solid minute, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> Did you hear that? <laughs> right after. I like the idea also of Christmas spirit being this measurable thing that powers the sleigh. Yes. And, 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 and that. Oh, go ahead. Uh, well, that whole thing where, where they need one more voice to, to sing, you know, James Conn has to stop mouthing and, and actually sing in order for yeah. the, the sleigh to rise. They got that idea from Horton Hears a Who. Oh, okay. Did not notice that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I also liked, um, I like any time Walter says something really dry. Um, like that scene where Emily's like, we can't just throw him out in the snow. And he's like, why not? He loves the snow. He told me 15 times. Yeah. Um, he's got so yeah. many, so many lines like that. Yeah. And, and James <laughs> Conn, it's interesting that, you know, we talked about Will Ferrell being so over the top and James Conn was deliberately 
underplaying everything and and uh, i don't think favreau was prepared for that at first he you know but but he says after he saw what the dailies were looking like he realized that was the right way to go because if uh he had been really upset and angry and frustrated and, and you know yelling at buddy the whole time it would be very one note and it, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't have that build up to the one time he finally just blows up at him and says i wish you weren't my son you know and then it, that has some gravitas to it because it's been building. Yes, and it, it it's such a great payoff. Um, and then his his devastation after that scene. Yeah. Um, which feels like both sad, but also it's funny because he finally got to explode, and because we know who James Con is, right? Right. And we want him to be like from The Godfather. <laughs> um, and so he finally gets that big moment. I even saw that um that for that scene, uh, you know, Favreau pulled him aside, and he's like, "Remember who you are," kind of thing. Like you need to put some you know gangster uh vibe on this one yeah. and it works really really well like you said i think him being the straight man the whole movie you know leads to this big scene uh which gives it like you said a lot of a lot of uh gravitas yeah <laughs> And, and he also, I also heard uh, Will Ferrell told a story once, or, uh, he said at the premiere, uh, it's the first time everybody was seeing the finished film, uh, James Conn came up to Will Ferrell afterwards and says, you know, the whole time we were on set, I was I thought you were just overplaying it and just way too over the top. Now I see what you were doing. <laughs> so He's like, oh, well, thanks for all that faith in me. <laughs> <laughs> so you have two actors complete on complete opposite ends of the spectrum, and it just worked perfectly together yeah it was giving me like and i keep coming back to this just because he's another comedian that's sort of big in his performance but it's giving me kind of uh jim carrey and tommy lee jones vibes (laughs) you know it could it could end up being a bad thing like it was in that case um but yeah i'm glad that they weren't like at odds with each other but it is funny like they are so different that it probably is hard for him to understand like the sort of improvisational acting style yeah. um, which i'm sure would be kind of off-putting or at, at the very least difficult for actors that are not used to that you know yeah. and we're not used to seeing james connor in a comedy right right so. <laughs> which is what makes that casting so great oh, yeah. perfect <laughs> When you pick this movie too, I had to go back and just double check that we hadn't covered it yet. Because oh. <laughs> I was like, how have I not covered this? But it's because I'm not picking them. <laughs> it's so no one rare. Had picked it yet. I mean, there've been Christmas movies in this, in the last 17 years, in the last 20 years. It's so hard to come up with a new classic Christmas movie. I mean, you've got yes. your, you know, you've got your, it's a wonderful life and you've got your, you know, a million versions of uh, Christmas Carol, but this was something new and original and it was familiar. Uh, it was, that's one of the hooks was the familiarity, but it was its own thing. That's why it yeah. lived on. It was turned into a musical and people were going to enjoy it on the stage for years to come. Yeah. It was such a big shock, I think to the film industry too, because I think they, they played a clip in that special we watched where uh, it was like a Siskel and Ebert clip of, yeah. You know, right, just saying, right. Roger like, Ebert. Well, Roger Ebert was, yeah, was like, yeah, I thought I was going to hate this. <laughs> you know, like, because it does kind of look like one of those throwaway movies. Like, you yeah. know, if you just see the cover, you're like, oh, this is going to be gimmicky and like, I'm not going to enjoy it. And it's like, I don't know what, what, what makes something that should be gimmicky so good, but yeah. you know, just a good script, a good story and a good cast. And well, and it's also you, you know, like, like your friends who just have a bias against uh, Will Ferrell. I think I would, <laughs> I would guess that Roger Ebert was not a fan of old school. You know? Right. Right. So yeah. I can't really see him that. being like, wow, I loved that movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and comedy is so subjective too, yeah. you know, so, um, and he is an actor that, you know, he, he doesn't play subtle performances, so <laughs> it's kind of a love him or hate him sort of thing. Uh, and yeah, I can imagine someone seeing that like, oh, gosh, I have to watch this guy for an hour and a half just screaming. Kind of. <laughs> but <laughs> it's then, really funny. <laughs> and just a couple of years after this, uh, you know, John Favreau's buddy, Vince Vaughn, tries to make his PG uh, Christmas movie, Fred Claus. It didn't just it just didn't work. You know, yeah. It was OK. Yeah. It wasn't terrible. It had its moments. Oh, I haven't seen it. But I remember like the cover of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, I got nothing against Vince Vaughn, but he, he is not Will Ferrell. He is not. <laughs> yeah, it didn't turn into a classic. Like I, said, I, I enjoyed it because I was watching a lot of Christmas stuff at that time because I was, you know, trying to get steeped in the in the lore for while I was writing uh, North Pole High. So I did watch uh, Fred Claus for that reason. And it, it's watchable. It's just it's not going to be an endearing classic the way Alf is. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> I'll let you in on a little secret. I before that that moment that I started watching Elf over and over that that one day, uh, I was not a big fan of not only Christmas movies but Christmas in general. I, I, really, I was raised Jewish in a very Jewish neighborhood, oh. so we just <laughs> my parents, our parents, you know, the whole all my classmates' parents too. They just kind of kept Christmas out of our homes. We didn't really talk about it. We knew it existed because it was in the pop culture. So, like I said, we watched the TV specials and and every sitcom that you watched had a Christmas episode. So we knew it existed, but we weren't, you know, we weren't, they, they, I think that our generation really started the whole thing about giving eight presents on Hanukkah, really so that we wouldn't feel left out at Christmas. I don't (laughs) think that was what the original Hanukkah was invented for. (laughs) Well, the writer kind of talks about how his, him being uh, Jewish, uh, yeah, and his connection to Christmas also. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> you share a connection with that. So I knew a lot of the tropes, but then I had to make up for lost time. A friend of mine says, <laughs> that was the year that my heart grew three sizes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. I love I love that. <laughs> um, well, that kind of brings me to my last couple of questions for you then. If you had to sum up you know what you love so much about this movie i know we talked about for the last hour or so why you love it and you know your newer found love for christmas but if you had to sum up why you love this movie so much what what would you say Uh, i think it's because it's it is a wholesome family christmas movie that kids can enjoy on their level but i think it's really intended more for the older viewers who want that nostalgia uh, for the old Christmas movies and the old Christmas TV specials that they grew up on. And it's it's not really, it works for kids who believe in Santa Claus, but I think it works better for people who are past the Santa Claus phase, but just want to be in on the joke of saying, well, yeah, that's that's what it might be like if, if this crazy Santa Claus stuff came to the real world. There, they would crash into that... Uh, that culture with that, that whole juxtaposition that we see. And I think that's the main joke that, that doesn't get old through the, the full runtime of the movie. And also, I think you're right. And also at the end, it's funny and it's, it's heartwarming. Yeah. And I think, you know, the adults in the film, just like a lot of your classic Christmas movies, there's all these cynics, right. About Christmas. Well, mm-hmm. Christmas doesn't like, right. And as we get older, um, I was talking about this actually on Katie's podcast on Slice of Film. We were talking about um, uh, Christmas Vacation and how, uh, you know, when you're an adult, it's like the magic of Christmas, um, especially for those of us that were sort of raised with constant Christmas stuff our whole lives. We're like, man, I wish I could get some of that back. You know, that yeah. feeling I had when I was a little kid on Christmas morning. And I think everyone kind of goes through a few years where they're like, man, that's over. And now Christmas is just stressful and draining. Um, But I think as you get past that, you kind of start looking back and you're like, well, how do I get some of that little nostalgia back? How do I, how do I, you know, immerse myself in Christmas spirit, or at least I do. And I think you're right. I think uh, this movie is sort of, I mean, children can watch it, but it does feel a little bit more aimed at adults who are trying to recapture that magic that they felt as a kid. Um, and it's that's part of why it's so relatable, I think. Yeah, and that's also the area that I was trying to hit in North Pole High, that it's, it's you know, I, I got some responses from uh, publishers saying, well, you should really write it as a middle grade uh, story because that's the audience that still believes in Santa Claus. And I said, no, mine is about Santa's teenage daughter and she's dating a boy on the naughty list. And it's very much targeted at the YA audience on purpose. And the readers aren't supposed to be people who necessarily who are, are teenagers who still think that Santa is real? They're supposed to be people who are past that, just like the audience for Elf, who will have uh, fun okay. with playing with the tropes. <laughs> yeah, because it's kind of fun. Like you said, they're in on the joke. Yeah. Um, also, how do you pitch Elf to someone that hasn't seen it before? 
Um, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, kind of what I was just saying, just that it's it's funny and it's heartwarming and it's an uh, it's an instant Christmas classic. It's not cynical, but it's not sappy. It just has the perfect balancing act, and you will laugh and you will you will uh, have your heart warmed. I agree, and I think you know instant classic. That feels yeah. like a phrase that can get thrown around too much sometimes Absolutely. but in this case it's exactly what it is because of the fact that it calls back to so many classics i think mm -hmm. it's it, there's a reason why it works so well and you can really see the through line from this to like the mandalorian how favreau is able to oh, you yeah. know tap into our nostalgia and still bring us something new and uh yeah i would say uh do you like christmas and do you enjoy laughing uh, and if you're a fan like of Favreau's career, it's an important yeah. key. It's good to and, see where he came from, yeah. for sure. <laughs> well, Dan, this was really a, a fun episode to discuss. I, Like I said, I love this movie. I liked hearing about your connection to it. So you'll have to come back and talk about some more films sometime. I hope so. Thank you for having me, and uh, thank you for inviting me back. Mm -hmm.